Hey everyone, great to be with you this Easter. Well, it's, it's not hard to see uh, that our world isn't as it should be right now, is it? Coronavirus has changed so much for us, and the world is such a different place to even just a few months ago. Yet, life must go on as we experience it. And it's as though we're looking through it the same world. We're looking through our world through at the same place, but through a cracked lens. And as we see these cracks appear, cracks of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty, they surround us every day. And suddenly, everyday things have become hard, haven't they? See, I think if the coronavirus has showed us one thing, it's that our world is broken. The world we inhabit is broken, and we are broken. All is not right. But it's not just brokenness out there, is it? It's not simply out there. It's in here. We are broken as well. The virus has brought brokenness to light. And we've seen the best in humanity, but we've also seen the worst. We've seen hoarding of resources. We've seen medical personnel be abused. I mean, sadly, we've seen a 25% rise in domestic violence already. Our world is broken and all is not well. Now, the context which we live in is a sobering one. And the context in which this passage comes to us in Romans is also very sobering. Because if you'd read Romans 1 to 3, as Paul writes this letter, you'd see that he's painting a picture of humanity in relationship to God. And the verdict, well, it isn't good. It isn't a good verdict. We don't measure up to the standards of our holy creator God. And that's the repeated message of Romans 1 to 3. There's no amount of obedience, there's no amount of right performance or good actions can make us right with God. And then we come to the passage we just had read. And it's a passage that many people have described as the most important words ever written. And now there's two parts to what I want to say to you this morning. I'm going to split those two parts into two short talks. And first, we're going to think about what God has done about our brokenness and our sin as we look at the gift of God this Easter. And the second part, we're going to look at the justice of God this Easter. Let's think about the gift of God together. And when we look at that first verse, verse 21, we notice a key idea, a key word, and that is the word righteousness. Now, it's not a word we use very often, if at all. But think of it like this, righteousness is a record of your performance that results in praise or approval. So we might not use the word, but we understand the idea. Think about when you go to a job interview, you take with you a resume. It's a record of what you can do, your performance, your achievements, what you offer. And you bring it to this employer and you say, look what I can do, look what I offer, I'm worthy of this job. Now, it's not just to, to job um, interviews that we bring our performance record. We, we do it when we apply for courses. We do it when we try to get into sports teams. We do it when we try to win promotions. So it's, it's also the same. It's the same in all types, parts of life, but it's also the same in religion. I mean, essentially, every religion in the world requires some kind of performance record, some kind of moral performance or behavior to be met, 
a standard to be met. And we, we bring this moral performance before a deity and say, accept me, approve me. Now that's religion. But that is the complete opposite of Christianity. And Christianity is so radically different. I'll tell you why. Because the starting point of Christianity is that being righteous will never work. Because you, you can't be righteous enough. Christianity just says you can't be righteous enough. And then we come to this verse, verse 21. And verse 21 says this. Have a look at it if you've got it in front of you. But now, but now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. You hear those first words, but now. Key words. See, this is the turning point in human history. There was no way, but now there is a way where human beings can be right with God. We can receive not just a good performance record, but a divine performance record, a perfect performance record. And it doesn't rely on our obedience. It doesn't rely on us practicing religion or living a certain way because those things, they're not enough. See, this righteousness, this performance record comes to us as a gift through Jesus. If you've got your Bibles there, have a look at verse 23. It says this, For all have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus. Another word, a big word comes up there, justified. You know what? It's the same word in the original language as righteousness. And it simply means that God gives us this righteousness, this perfect record of Jesus. He gives it to us and declares that to be ours. So instead of facing the judgment we deserve for our sin and our rejection of our holy creator God, we are accepted, we are loved, and we are validated by God. Now, I want to say that. That is the wonderful news of Easter. We can have a righteousness record, a perfect track record, exchange with Jesus. We take his perfect record and he receives our condemnation. Now the question for you is this. Whose righteousness do you want? Whose track record do you want? Your own? Do you want to hold on to your own? Or do you want Jesus' this Easter? Now... Lance Armstrong might be a name you know well, it might not be, but Lance was a famous cyclist and he won heaps of trophies, hugely successful, but we, oh, many of us know the story of Lance, is that he was found to be a drug cheat. Now right in the middle of all of this, before he was found to be a drug cheat, Lance went through cancer and surgery and as he's going through this moment, he wrote a biography and this is what he says. Lance says this, the night before brain surgery, I thought about death. I searched out my larger values and I asked myself, if I was going to die, was I content with myself and what I'd done with my life so far? He says this, I decided I was essentially a good person. I asked myself what I believed. I'd never prayed a lot. I'd hoped hard. I'd wished hard, but I didn't pray. Quite simply, I believed I had a responsibility to be a good person. 
And that meant fair, honest, hardworking, and honorable. And if I did that, if I, if I was good to my family, true to my friends, if I gave back to my community or to some cause, if I wasn't a liar, a cheat, a thief, then I believed that should be enough. You know what the tragedy of Lance Armstrong is? He can't even be honest with himself. So we know he was lying. He was cheating drugs the whole time. But do you see there in his statement who he's trusting in? Whose performance record is Lance holding on to? He's backing himself. Now, compare Lance with U2 lead singer Bono. He said in an interview a few years back, he said this, he said, the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. And yet along comes this idea called grace. And it upends all this as you reap, you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like. It interrupts the consequences of our actions, which Bono says, in my case, is very good news because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Now, any good interviewer there wants to tap into that, and he says, I'd be interested to hear about that. Bono says this, that's between me and God. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I am holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins on the cross because I know who I am, and I hope I hope I don't have to depend on my religiosity. See, at the heart of the Christian message is Easter, where we find ourselves right now. And at the heart of Easter is a transaction. Jesus' perfect record, his perfect righteousness, traded for yours and mine. Bonner says, I'm holding out for grace because I know who I am. So we are justified, we are declared righteous freely by his grace. And now the question is, have you realized this? If you've realized that you haven't accepted the free gift of Jesus and his righteousness, then do it today. Later on, I'm going to pray a prayer and give an opportunity to do that. Pray that prayer with me. Now, if you're at a point where you're unsure... And that's perfectly fine. If you've got questions, we'd love, we'd love to help you think through your questions. Now, we offer a course called Christianity Explored. It's going to be running online next week. And it's a great chance for you to explore who Jesus is and what he's done and explore some of those questions in a friendly environment online. But maybe you are a follower of Jesus. And if you are, I want to remind you of something this Easter that you are justified, you are right with God freely by his grace. You have God's love, you have God's approval, you have God's forgiveness by one thing, Christ's righteousness. And that's why it's good news, because it doesn't depend on you. See, at the heart of Easter is a gift. At the cross, where Christ offers you his perfect righteousness, in place of your brokenness and your sin. Now, as you come to the wondrous cross this Easter, will you accept that gift? All right.
Well, we're back. In part one, we saw that God freely gifts sinners like you and I with the perfect track record of Jesus. This is his grace. But it raises an important question for us. Is that fair? Is that just? How can God simply declare those who have done wrong to be right? How can God simply just say that those who aren't righteous are righteous? Now the answer is found in verse 25. I'm going to read it out. Have a look at it. It says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's saying that God allows his son Jesus to be the sacrifice who would face his wrath for our sin. There's a phrase there, a sacrifice of atonement. Now in some translations it appears as this big word called propitiation. Now that's a big word, a word we don't really use or hear. But this is what it means. It means to absorb wrath. One good way to think of it is a helmet. Now, why do you wear a helmet when you go riding your bike? Well, a helmet absorbs the impact of a collision. If you fall, the helmet will absorb the impact of the road. It propitiates, it pacifies the concrete from hitting your head. It stands between your head and the ground. And that's what it means here to be a sacrifice of atonement. This verse says that God presents Jesus as a sacrifice who will absorb his wrath. See, Jesus, God's son, takes the wrath of God the Father as payment for sin. But hold on, we might ask, uh, doesn't that make God callous and angry and bloodthirsty? Why is it necessary, this idea of wrath? Well, speaking of this idea of wrath, the popular atheist Richard Dawkins has said this. He says, You're telling me the creator of the universe couldn't think of a better way to rid the world of sin than to come to this little speck of cosmic dust and have himself tortured and executed so that he could forgive himself? It's petty. He goes on, If God wanted to forgive our sins, why not just forgive them? Now, does Dawkins have a point? Imagine for a moment uh, someone is on trial in court and have committed terrible crimes, absolutely horrible things, serial murder, serial abuse, and they stand before the court and they say, look, I'm sorry. Now, how would you react if the judge said, oh, look, guys, he's, he's sorry now. Why don't we just forgive him? Because that's kind of what Richard Dawkins is suggesting. Now, would that be justice? Well, of course not. It can't be justice. And we'd be outraged, wouldn't we? So what does it say to the victims of the perpetrator? It says, you don't matter. It says, the pain and the suffering you've experienced, well, it doesn't really matter. See, none of us want a judge who will just forgive. That isn't justice. And now you often hear people say, I believe in a God of love, not wrath. A God of love and not anger. But what does it say to the victims of injustice if God isn't angry at evil, at the wrongs that we experience? It says their lives are worth nothing. See, wrongs must be paid for. 
That is justice. And I think this is best expressed in the reflections of a man named Gary Hagen. Now, Gary founded an organization called the International Justice Mission. But before that, he, was, he led the United Nations uh, investigation into genocide in Rwanda in 1994, where 800,000 people were murdered in a period of 100 days. Absolutely horrible. And Gary wrote about his experiences about justice and injustice. And he says this. He says this. Standing with my boots deep in the reeking mud of a Rwandan mass grave, where thousands of innocent people have been horribly slaughtered, I have no words, no meaning, no life, and no hope. If there is not a God of history and time who is absolutely furious, absolutely burning with anger towards those who took it in their own hands to commit such acts. Here is a man who has witnessed some of the worst acts of humans against one another. And his conclusion, God has to be furious with this. God has to have wrath against evil. Otherwise, he's not good and he's not just. And verse 25 is saying to us, for God to be just, his wrath against sin and evil has to be poured out. Evil must be punished for God to be good and just. Now, friends, the wonderful news of Easter is this, that God's love and his justice are found together. Wrath comes down on sin and evil, and blood is spilled. It must be. But here's the thing. It's not my blood, and it's not your blood. It's Jesus' blood. The justice of Easter is that God is angry at evil, and he pours out his wrath on Jesus at the cross. Now, is Jesus the passive victim in all of this? Well, we read in John 10, 18, Jesus says this. He says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. Now, come with me for a quick journey through Mark 14. It's the other passage we had read for us. It's from the very first Easter, the night before Jesus' death. And Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane with his friends. And we see in this passage Jesus' agony at the prospect of bearing the wrath of his father. Have a look at verse 33. I'll read it. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus knows what's before him. And he falls to his knees and he cries out to his father in verse 36, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. He's faced with the cup of God's wrath, the punishment for all sin, not his sin, your sin, my sin. He never sinned. Now Jesus here is staring down death and judgment and all the forces of evil, all the forces of evil are arrayed against him right now. And in this moment, he agonizes. He could walk away. He could let you and I go. But he doesn't. Through the agony, he says to his father, not your will, not my will, but your will. He walks towards the cross, not away from it. 
See, this is what it took to pay for your sin. So when you want to know if you're loved by God, look to this moment where Jesus could have walked away and left you, but he didn't. And if you're struggling with doubt and uncertainty and assurance, look to this moment, to the cross, where he could have let you go. He could have left you and I to pay for our own sin. But after praying, he rises and he walks towards his betrayers, towards the cross. And if you're struggling, fighting sin, if you're struggling, you'll become complacent with your battle with sin. Look to this moment because here you see the price he had to pay for your sin. See, Jesus is the willing sacrifice for sin. The Father puts forward the Son and Jesus willingly accepts. He says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. This is the payment for sin, the satisfaction of God's wrath. It's the beating heart of the Christian faith. If you've understood this, you've understood Christianity. You are declared righteous by the free gift of Jesus, the free gift of his grace. That's the gift. But that grace comes at an unthinkable cost. That is the justice. See, the message of Easter is that Christ has paid for our sin in the most perfect act of love and justice. Now, if you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, then, friends, you're on the wrong side of God's justice right now. Accept the gift of God's love and his justice this Easter by turning and trusting Jesus. Now, do this by praying with me right now. A prayer is going to come up on the screen in front of you, and I'm going to pray through it. I'm going to pray through it sentence by sentence, and I invite you to pray this prayer after me to God through these words in your heart. Let's pray together. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I fall short of your standards. Thank you for the grace, your grace, in sending Jesus so that I might receive his righteousness that I don't deserve. Today, I put my trust in the free gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness and his payment for all my sins at the cross. Amen. Now, if you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to connect with you. We're so glad you did. Uh, Connect with us by filling out an online connect card there uh, through the link. Or sign up, better still, sign up to our Christian and Explored course. We'd love to explore more about the Christian faith with you, answer your questions, and consider together who Jesus is.